Today I bring you a conversation with uh, podcaster Gil Roth. Uh, we talk about the evolution of his show, uh, his day job in the pharma industry, and his sudden and uh, all immersive uh, interest in drawing and painting, uh, which began around his 50th birthday. Hope you enjoyed the talk as much as I did. Uh, so yeah, I, I figured I'd go to one of the experts and yeah. and flip the script on you. <laughs> yeah, go figure. <laughs> I'm rarely anybody else's guest. It's always pretty funny to me when somebody wants to uh, wants to ask me questions. Well, yeah, that's uh, you know, <laughs> that's that's the fun of this. Yeah, it's is uh, yeah, cool. yeah. So how, how's uh, how's your day so far? Good. It's been my 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 day of podcastery. Oh. I did a uh, recording this morning with a, a cartoonist and painter in Sweden. Mm. Then I spent a chunk of the day editing and processing the last in person one I did last week with a uh, uh, Nicholas Del Banco, mm. and then had the well finish the day off with a, a conversation with Dimitri. It'll be my my day of podcastery. I know. I know. You'll you'll have enough podcasting to last you a month. <laughs> it's always another week ahead of me it's always coming at you but yes that's uh, what i signed up for so yeah as uh, just as yeah i mean i was bitching about the podcast hell but like who who sent me to the podcast hell like <laughs> right yeah i, I gave but... myself the weekly assignment and that uh you know that that's been a a you know a blessing despite all of the anxiety neurosis and everything else that uh that it engenders yeah uh so yeah i think yeah going going through this with with this particular medium or technology i guess uh one of the things that occurred for me to ask you is you know if say um you know terry gross was announcing her retirement and she tabbed you for her replacement like would would that make you happy like would you be, be okay with that you know, it's funny. I used to think that was the, you know, oh, I'm I'm doing this pharmaceutical lobbying and, and advocacy stuff, but, you know, my real thing yeah, should yeah. be doing, you know, the, the podcast. And I said that once to Simon Doonan, the, uh, uh, he was the guy who did window dressing right. for Barney's stores right. yeah, and, and all this. And, and he said, oh, honey, I know you think that you would hate this if this was your job. Yep. You would hate whatever it is if it was your job. And I thought, holy shit, he's right. I would end up, uh, well, Gil, you have to record with this person or you have to do this or that. I would end up resenting it if it was, you know, my my livelihood as opposed to my my weird vocation. But what, okay, I'll, I'll add another wrinkle. What if it was, say, for whatever reason, you won the lottery, you're, you had a- that, that I think about every so often. If I'm distant, driving down Route 287. A yeah, distant yeah. relative left you an inheritance, <laughs> whatever it is. Uh, yeah. uh, and- and suddenly you didn't have to do the, uh, the, yeah, I would the just lobby. do this. You would. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, when I drive down route 287 and I see the $200 million or whatever lotto sign, I think, you know, I would, I would give the job, you know, six months or however long it took to find someone who could replace me well enough. And yeah, if, if I just had time on my hands and, and all that money, I would have these conversations, um, you know, but as, as long as it wasn't something that was meant to drive 
advertising and revenue and and all that stuff. Yeah. You know, if it was just self-supporting like that, you know, or if I was supporting doing it, yeah, I would I would just do this. So, I think. I mean, I'd also try and, you know, draw or whatever um and read stuff on the side. But, but the, yeah, I mean the drawing yeah. is a, almost a brand new thing. Uh how long have yeah, you been? It's only drawing? about a year or so. Yeah, it's been a year, it was, right? Yeah. yeah, it was end of January last year. So yeah, about fourteen months. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh I so uh, what did the that was never like a childhood dream, was it? The, the no, drawing? I mean reading comic reading comic books as a kid, you know, yeah, I'd I'd be in comics and blah blah blah. But all I ever did back then was was trace superheroes when I was a little kid. Um, so I really never picked up a pencil, never made art, never looked at things visually, always assumed I had a neurological deficit uh, in, in certain ways. I characterize it like this. If I listen to a baseball game on the radio, mm-hmm. I visualize the outfielders in orthogonal positions. Like if somebody's in left field, he's all the way in the left side in the corner. I had no ability to like <laughs> see somebody in the general area and, and make any gradations like that. So I always assume drawing, I would have no ability to do anything like that. And yet, you know, once I started looking at trees outside my house, discovered that the more you look, you can, so, some alchemy happens. So, well, also, you know. I mean, I mean, we, most of us forget this or don't know this, but, you know, prior to photography and all these other hobbies, you know, uh, middle, middle class or upper class people in their leisure time would draw or paint, hence yeah. Sunday painter. You know, those are the Sunday painters were not professionals or like it was just a thing to do because they didn't have you know, Netflix you know, basically, yeah. <laughs> and, and they didn't even, didn't have the radio. They didn't have any of the, the crap right. that we do. And, uh, so anybody could draw really, uh, up yeah. to a point, you know, <laughs> I mean, and I just never gave myself the, you know, the, the willingness to try that or the, you know, the, there are a number of reasons why I shouldn't or didn't do it in, in the past, but yeah, once I just started with the, First, just doing a drawing and then, you know, sitting around for a week or so before I try again and then realizing, Gil, if you don't do this every day, you're not going to get better. Just like the podcast didn't really take off until you gave yourself a regular schedule on which to do it, which ultimately became weekly. Right. That's I mean, that's my feeling about this podcast stuff, because I've, you know, nominally I've had a podcast for four years. I mean, you know, (laughs) It's just that uh, what what it was up until now is either scraps of audio, like work in progress. It's a, I mean, it's a really good editing uh, practice if you're writing to read out loud. Mm -hmm. And uh, some of the stuff I would post on there and not tell anybody about was just rough drafts of writing. And then also, then I started recording what I was reading. (laughs) And I, I would also. That's how I started out. If you go all the way down to the bottom of my page, the first couple of things I posted were just me trying shit out by by reading on mic and seeing what worked and how my inflections worked and how to just produce this MP3 file. So, right. you know, I just didn't do it for four years, but, you know, we all yeah. have our, our other stuff going on. So. <laughs> yeah, because, yeah, this, the audio thing for me is like the seventh or eighth or whatever, like in a line of other projects that I have. Sure going at any any one time but uh for whatever reason 
as like a couple of weeks ago, I decided that I wanted to uh, attempt to do this in some more like regular informalized way, which then cool. plunges me into the podcast hell because that's how I have to do things. Yeah. But again, once you've, you know, ironed out the things, once you go through the learning curve and figure out what works and doesn't work, then it becomes not routine, but that stuff becomes routinized and you can focus on, you know, having good conversations with people. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And yeah, I'm, uh, I'm not worried about that. It's just, uh, you know, like anything, like you're talking about psyching yourself out with all the reasons why you shouldn't draw or what have you, you know, when, when it's not, when there's all these problems, it's just, and I, oh, yeah. I expect, you know, I expect uh, it to be perfect. <laughs> Trust me, the, the, the remote ones, yeah. my guest last week, his computer shut off in the middle of our, 75 minutes into yeah. our conversation, the one with the art critic, Sebastian Smee. Yeah. He was in a panic and I was just thinking, if it's lost... We lost it. If 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 Zencaster did a good job and cashed yeah. everything and, and saves it, then we saved it. But it was a good enough conversation that I felt like he and I could sit down again sometime, have a different conversation. It'll still be, you know, good. Luckily when we when he checked back in, Zencaster mm -hmm. did literally up to the second, you know, had everything yes. saved. So um but yeah, it's it's and the last in person one I did that I was editing today, where the guest kind of a low voice and he yeah. sat a little bit far from the microphone but you know we're not again we're not being paid and this isn't npr so you know no we do the no best not we can at all technology. Uh, yeah all yeah i mean basically yeah the only thing i'm concentrated on is getting a more or less clean recording and i i've messed around in the editing audio editing uh software yeah, that, that, that can... I, I can fix the levels like Right. The thing that I've been noticing so far is that my level's lower than the guest, like significantly. Yeah. Uh, and I think I think I'm not speaking loud enough. I think that's all it is. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah, and there's stuff you get more comfortable with. Yeah. yeah. I, I listened to my earlier ones, and it's one of those. Oh God, Gil, you yeah. really should not have been. You know, yeah. having your hand over your mouth while you were talking. You know, it's it's but it's stuff you learn. It's all reps. You know, with, with stuff Absolutely. like that, with the technical aspect. No, you'll laugh. Yeah. The, the first one I tried on the clean feed, the thing that didn't work for us today for yeah. for a mysterious reason. I think it's just gremlins and yeah, yeah, cosmic forces that don't want you want me to fail or whatever. But uh, <laughs> no, uh, I recorded an hour and a half conversation and I didn't, I'd only, it was my first one. So I didn't test out how the recording works. And there was a button to choose uh, to record both sides or one. And I, I recorded only my audio and it was like an hour and a half of me pausing <laughs> Was that, do you remember when that guy did uh, Garfield minus Garfield? Yeah, where it's yeah. just John. It's, it's <laughs> yeah. just a, it's just a depressed suburban guy like talking to nothing. With an empty panel on yes. the other side. Yeah, that's what it was. Mer yeah. Thankfully and mercifully, my guest was game to do it again. Yeah, uh, but uh... And, and we all run into that stuff. There was a, uh, it was a few years ago now, when there was like the first big New York Times article about Mark Maron, my mm -hmm. my podfather, um, and he was doing an uh, a remote, not a remote. He, he was doing a a, a hotel uh, a podcast with. I forget who, Patton Oswalt or John Hodgman, one of those. Famously, two. Hodgman. It took him like three times. Yeah. Yeah. He did the one with Hodgman and yeah. people kept asking after yeah. the article yeah. came out, where's this conversation? Yeah. He's like, 
didn't record. Yeah, and I've I've run yeah. into that last fall. I ran into it with. Uh, the the main recorder didn't start for an in-person one. The main recorder didn't start. The mm-hmm. backup one hadn't been offloaded in so long. It only caught part of the conversation. But, <laughs> you know, again, it, this isn't our job. So, you know, we do the best we can and, and no, uh, try and bring some good conversation to the world. For sure. Yeah. And I'm, uh, yeah, I'm confident about, I'm confident about the important thing, which is that I think I can keep a conversation going if I'm interested in the person. And uh, they want it. Well, then we're doomed, I guess. I know. I know. Go. We're, we're going to have lots of awkward <laughs> silences here. It's going to be great. It's going to be like a, what's the, the the theater or cinema of discomfort? Yeah. It's the <laughs> audio version. <laughs> cringe, as the kids say. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be super cringe. <laughs> but, you know, that's the, uh, what, what you all have to protect for or, or you know insure against but but ask away tell me what your your yeah um i guess uh i did want to know the the impetus for that the first drawing like 14 months ago or whatever you said in january oh yeah it was what what actually what pushed you over the edge into literally (laughs) it was it was the first episode of john lurie's uh Ah. painting with john on hbo i i know you have my my pal pal john yeah yes (laughs) i saw that i was watching the the way the watercolors were bleeding into the board that he was using and i thought fuck man i should go make some art and the next morning i i remembered the a few well before the pandemic I had gone to the Society of Illustrators sketch night because a couple of friends of mine were playing the, uh, they, they were the band that was playing jazz that night while all the artists were there sketching. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, they were uh, like John, uh, Joe Chardello and Barry yeah. Blitt, these illustrators of the New York. Yeah, I think you and I and, recorded one uh, when I was a guest one of the times. Yeah, in we, there. we did the yeah. third floor at the, uh, the SOI. Yeah. So before that, I stopped at the, uh, the Artist League, I guess, and I picked up a mm-hmm. sketch pad, pencils and all that just so I could fake it. And get into society. Oh, you, you, you just wanted the gear or the the what? Yeah. The, the what was? I just what, br- what I, I brought that stuff for. as cover. It was protective coloration, but yeah, yeah I just bought yeah. that stuff as cover in case somebody said, "Oh, you're here to sketch." But actually, I was just there to see Joe and Barry. Yeah, and so you were going to air draw or something. <laughs> yeah, I just fake it, and you know, um, and, he, and when I was there, I had no interest. I was like, "Oh, three people standing there posing. Everybody's drawing. That's cool." Yes. But it was a couple of years later when you know I got up the next morning after that that Lurie show. I thought I'm going to go outside and draw those three big trees in my backyard, and. I, I post ev- virtually everything I've drawn and it's a, a chronological album on Flickr. So mm-hmm. my, my joke is it really looks like a guy with traumatic brain injury starting to like regain the ability to, to use his hand again. Well, because those first you know. ones are just these jagged pencil lines on a piece of paper, but I had to start somewhere. Uh, you know? as, as you like to say, I, I will link to the Flickr in the show notes. Uh, cool. for this episode yeah. whenever it goes up and I'm not sure yet when because I'm in the process of figuring out a schedule for this and as as you mentioned earlier you need to have a schedule uh, yeah. otherwise it's I, I feel real. that way yeah. other people operate in their own, no, their I own know. ways yeah. but uh, for me it's it's necessary for me to do stuff as opposed to I'll do it sometime well, yeah. which is why I haven't done a second issue of my zine exactly. because there's no hard there's no dead, deadline dead, and yeah. there's no, uh, it's not a routine. Uh, routine yeah. is very, very important. Uh, a self-imposed one. Uh, 
for any kind of creative work I find. I mean, yeah, like because- the weird thing I started just a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. uh, for 2022, I've been sending out a postcard. I know I, I got day. one. <laughs> Thank but you. <laughs> in the last couple of weeks, I hit on this thing. I, I've enjoyed watching David Lynch's uh, uh, daily weather report mm-hmm. on YouTube. He just does a minute or so says what the weather is in LA says what song he's thinking about says what the weather's going to get to has a couple of his funny little catchphrases. And I thought I should probably do that with the postcard. Uh, I'll discover what the postcard is that morning on camera. I'll pull it out. I'll, I'll show the the viewer so they can see it. I'll, I'll read what it is from the back. And you know, that way it's a, it's a reveal, but it's a surprise to me too. And where will that go? Uh, It goes on YouTube. I do them every single morning. Oh, YouTube. Okay. Yeah, they're like a minute to a, a minute and a half long. I posted a link on Twitter and I, I post the first minute of it on Instagram as a story. But yeah, it's just every morning, I it's now part of the routine. I got my daily journal. I got some other stuff I do, but I do this video and I've got a workflow for it where it's like five minutes total to, to from recording it to putting it up. Yeah, on, I think on uh, one of the major, major misconceptions about uh, from people that don't have a creative outlet of any kind, which is actually a lot of people, is that uh, art, making art of any kind, just broad, broad term art. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I wrestle with what to call art, what's not art. Yeah. But uh, let's just call it art. Uh, they think it's some, somehow about freedom or like you're just like this bohemian, do whatever you want. But actually, it takes so much discipline because there is no external. Uh, yeah. There's it's not a job. It, yeah, it, it, you're not yeah, punching yeah, the it, clock and nobody cares because the right. vast majority of people that make creative things don't live off of it. As yeah, where we began this conversation about what you know, like if you're not depending on it for for a livelihood. Um but yeah, it's with with no ex- external uh whatever pressures, uh nobody cares. You don't ever have to do anything. So you have right. to set up a system internally. Uh, to keep yeah. yourself going. Um, and I mean, I have that with the visual art. I have that with the writing. I have, I mean, I have this newsletter I've been cranking out for Jesus Christ. Uh, well, too long. Well, let's say too long. <laughs> actually, oh, like in some form, like 10 years. Yeah. Uh, but it wasn't until uh, I quit social media in 2015 and uh, needed, an, you know, I knew I needed some sort of like regular soapbox outlet, you know, for yeah. for all my very very important opinions, and uh, <laughs> and settled on a weekly newsletter. And once I did that, that it very quickly became the thing around which my weeks revolved, and yeah. and it does to this day because I put one out on Monday, and that well now I put one out on Thursday for people that want to give me money. But so twice a week, uh, no matter what, I have to. I have to post these newsletters and I mean, who says I have to, nobody except me really, you know, I mean, a few, yes, a few people have given me some money, but it's not, it's not an actual living. The newsletter is not not a living yet. (laughs) It's more the, for me, you know, I do uh, an email every Wednesday along with the the podcast, usually on Tuesdays. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's, you know, people who drop me a line about, oh, hey, I read the thing in the newsletter or, you know, this is something I, I read and I'm into, you know, or just stuff about the show, whatever they, they like. Yeah. Uh, along with the people who I've started corresponding with, with the postcards. Yeah. It's just this, this 
creating that routine for yourself, you start hearing from people, oh, Wednesday mornings, I look forward to getting your email. It's like, yeah. oh my God, that's that's pressure, kind of. But, you know, it's also nice that it's a nice, what no, you did means something it's to It's the kind else. of pressure anybody would want. I mean, like, who, does, yeah. who doesn't want to find out that something they did matters to somebody else? I mean, Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, and it's a world where this sort of stuff that we do isn't quick hit. No. You know, uh, um, oh, I got X number of likes and you know the this number of of people clicking on my my link or whatever you know yeah uh yeah the whole uh of, there was a great phrase i heard somewhere uh, yeah addressing this either uh, i don't know if it's quantified life or something like where everything is oh yeah uh, yeah I saw somebody a, say something like there's that a, yeah there's a good term for this like where everything is measured in you know likes or whatever downloads yeah. or whatever the the metric is and like what a horrible uh effect that has on uh emotions on <laughs> mental stability yeah. on uh you know ego whatever uh it's it's just such a horrible thing i mean i'm down to well now that i have this new uh quote unquote new relaunched podcast there's now a new place that has these fucking metrics right uh the, you know the downloads and all that but prior to that it was just a newsletter and i very consciously don't check very often uh yeah i i and I, i've talked about it in a mm -hmm. episode i did recently i used to go to the the download stats for the podcast multiple times a day yeah and once i got my leukemia diagnosis yeah. i thought you know the only numbers that matter from here on are your white blood cell count gil stop yeah. looking at these yeah, things I'm not, yeah. they're not going to matter in your quality of life and i would never uh, ever say it's a good thing that you got this diagnosis but it does reconfigure your priorities in a way yeah. it, that's not entirely negative <laughs> no, no, i mean i i see it on monday or on tuesdays now when i go to, to post the new episode mm -hmm. i see what the numbers were i'm like okay I, once a week and that's it. I, I'd notch it in this little spreadsheet that I always kept anyway, but yeah, there's no, a lot of those things I, I just learned to let go or was shocked into to letting go. No, the, one of the big, big uh, paradoxes of once again, making anything creative is that you have to make it as if it's like, you don't know who the audience is at all. You have to have your own reasons. Yeah. And then, yeah, you can, can never, and it's great when people like it, but you can't ever, ever take that into account when you're making the next thing, because what you will make is shit. What you will make is a rehash. Uh, you'll, you'll make like these American TV shows that go on for seven years when they should have been like eight episodes, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's all about audience market testing or whatever. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Survey. Trying to, yeah. to please somebody or please a, a common denominator. Uh, I was, it comes up in the, uh, the, the episode I was editing, uh, this afternoon. You know, my, my joke is that the, my podcast is a general interest magazine. If everybody shared my interests, mm -hmm. the problem is, you know, we don't. And if we did, we'd be living on a square planet. Where we're all dressed in Superman costumes flying backwards. But, you know, <laughs> unfortunately, that's not the world we're on. So, yeah. you know, I'll keep making this for, you know, a devoted little core of, of listeners and people will discover it because they looked up a writer or an artist they love and they'll find a bunch of past episodes and holy crap, I had no idea this thing was here. Let me write to this guy and tell him how much I like his show. Yeah. Which 
is always, you know, it's what you're doing it for is, you know, just reaching someone asynchronously, whatever you, you call it, that somewhere down the line, you've created this time bomb of, of yeah. art. And no, I mean, I've, I've come to believe absolutely that all this art, all this expression that I've been involved with personally, you know, basically since, since I was conscious is, is a way, is a weird and indirect and tormented way to connect in ways that I can't as a, just a person. <laughs> yeah i mean you always joke about like how yeah the the guests are like your your only social life or what have you uh, oh joke yeah that's right i know, Come on. <laughs> yeah, you know. Uh, i mean yeah go on <laughs> uh, yeah I'm, no, I'm, I'm attempting yeah. to you know do the the rear like i can't ever pull it off the glass half full like <laughs> yeah. no, no, i mean they are for a large part yeah. you know i don't really talk to, to friends yeah. much i have friends who correspond a little yeah. but really the the bulk of my verbal interaction mm. is through the podcast there yeah. are people i relate to through work and that's it you know what's you know, really and, and it's good yeah what's yeah. really really bizarre personally is that i like doing this i like having audio conversations either in person mm -hmm. or actually the remote ones i've actually come to like i hate the, the if there's a video component it throws everything off yeah no, you're everything. always looking at your own your own tile to, to see well, yeah, no because you actually can't see the person you're looking at yourself um, yeah yeah and, I, and the audio is not well because yeah. yeah you can't make eye contact uh, it's such a false argument like during covid lockdown that you're connecting because you can see a person in there but like they're not seeing you if in anything to me psychologically it makes me feel even more far away from them yeah but a voice uh, and i was never ever a phone person ever but if if it's a pre uh pre uh what's it called uh a planned conversation on e either a set topic or just like, like this, a, a kind of a digressive rambling conversation between two people that know each other. I'm all up for that. And I, yeah. it's, it's very strange because yeah, I've never ever been into phone phone conversations ever. Uh, it was part of my, my thing this morning with the, uh, the, the Swedish cartoonist was like, you know, in my pre pandemic days, I only did the show in person. Mm -hmm we never would have had this conversation. Right. And I was like, well, you know, there's, there's give and take, you know, we're not having as good a connection as two people sitting across a table looking at each other. But she, unless she and I happen to be at the same festival, we were never going to meet in person to, yeah. to record. So it's the next best thing. You and know, then, it worked okay. You know? Yeah. I mean, and that, that uh, approach is, I, I don't know if you took it from Marin, but it was always Marin's approach. He would only do them in person until yeah. until covid right uh, and he, yeah he hemmed and hawed well, there was there was one exception actually i think it, it was either mick or keith yeah and they told him yeah. you know it can right. only be a phoner yeah. and he was like no no i don't do yeah. phoners and then like one of his pals not not his producer one of his pals like you fucking idiot mm -hmm. like yeah what the hell am i thinking <laughs> of exactly. course i will do that. you're Mick fucking jagger and yeah he hemmed and hawed and kvetched about it but then he got used to it too and i yeah. but i think he does do some sort of video thing because it's meant, yeah. Meant I, from what I gather, he, he does a video with the the audio, posting the audio, but also having a video component. Yeah, he doesn't post the video, but it's there because he says he likes, he wants it, he wants to see the person. But yeah, everybody's got different styles. I, mean, I know that's, that's the whole I, thing. I feel what like I feel people. very proud of myself yeah. for almost not completely avoiding Zoom, but like I've been on a Zoom maybe ten times in my life. Yeah, you know, I, I will right. do everything. 
to avoid it, I will turn off the the video component if if somebody makes me go on there. It's it's the same thing that I hated about Skype. Like my folks, you know, they go to Europe most summers and they always want to do Skype and I always refuse. Yeah. I make them just no, write I make them write me email. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it can be tough. But yeah, every yeah, everyone's different that way, the way the way they want to communicate. But yeah, as I said, I think any kind of creative output is just a way to connect for people that are damaged in some way that they can't just have normal friends the way normal people do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, well, it, it's a thing that like with the show, with, with the podcast, I when I first recorded with illustrators as opposed to cartoonists or, mm-hmm. or painters, uh, I happened to get three in a row who were each more neurotic than the last, uh, mm. Joe Chardello and Barry Blitt, who I mentioned, and, and John Cuneo, who, yeah. who started the whole thing. And I came up with this theory that illustrators are much more neurotic than than cartoonists because people actually see their work. And I mentioned this to John. He's like, oh, oh, no, no, you, you just happen to get a bad sample set. Go talk to Mark Ulrichson out in San Francisco, and he's incredibly well-adjusted, normal guy. He's just a really good illustrator. Yeah. And I ended up connecting with, with Mark and discovered, oh, yeah, no, okay. I, I happen to hit on three of the more neurotic yeah. illustrators out there, just one after another. But, you know. Yeah, I know. It, it takes all kinds. But uh, I, I, guess, I guess what I was trying to get at is that uh, I think most people don't need – I don't think yeah. the, the majority of the human race needs an outlet uh, the way that people that have this creative problem do. Like that, they yeah, need to. That sounds right. Connect in a way, in a di- in an indirect way, which is art. Art is an indirect way of communicating, and as you said, asynchronous. Uh, as opposed, I mean, the closest uh, in the in the creative realm that is to just friendship is music. I mean, I mean, music is the greatest art, but and everything else is just trying trying to fake the effects of music i think but (laughs) because music uh you don't need almost any anything you can do it with your mouth you can do it with your hand you need nothing and it travels through the air and it's free 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 in the sense that it's not bound to a physical form or you know it's yeah it's it's the the most i mean the fundamental art i think uh but uh Still, and and those, you know, they're like the uh, psychology of musicians is really interesting, uh, different than, say, a painter or a writer. How so? Uh, I think, well, one of the reasons is the vast majority of them have to collaborate. Mm -hmm. And and there's this in the live performance aspect of it uh, is also a big part in that, yeah, they have to, you know, in ideally not not every musician but for many musicians the ideal expression is a, a live setting in front of an audience right. which it emphatically is not for a painter or a writer you know it's it's any it's anything but <laughs> it's yeah i mean the stage i mean for me i know personally having been on enough stages at readings and other weird hybrid events uh, i know i'm not a performer and that my stage is a piece of paper you know, or like yeah, it, it's funny because I'm thinking of this uh, Argentine cartoonist, uh, Lanier's, who mm-hmm. I recorded with also at Society of Illustrators. Um, 
he he's he's got friends who are big time musicians in Argentina and elsewhere, and he actually performs on stage with them, painting while they're doing art mm-hmm. or while they're they're performing. And then he and some lead guy switch. He actually, I think, plays guitar while the oh, other nice. guy tries to make art on on stage. But I know it's a weird exception to the the whole thing. But uh, I, you know, I, it was one of those funny things that he told me th- about it. I have yeah. done a thing sort of like that. Uh, there's a jazz club here that does these uh, evenings. I forget what it's called, but they pair, like they get one musician, say, to choose three other collaborators that they've never worked with, and you make something mm-hmm. just improvised. And it, and one time I was invited to do that, which is doing a live piece of art on stage as the musicians yeah. played. Yeah, musicians, there was, I think there's yeah, like three other people on stage that had also never collaborated in any way. And that was a curious experiment. Uh, yeah. And I mean, also I've spent <laughs> countless hours drawing or sketching or painting uh, musicians as they do their thing. I mean, it's a, a very tremendously, tremendously influenced and inspired by music i mean i did i was i was at a show last night sketching like i do i'm i'm like the weird guy that sketches at shows so that's what yeah i i don't go to live or or i'm not around people anymore at any point in my life you've decided to quit us to depart <laughs> for a large part yeah there, there was chunks of the pandemic that slotted right into my my lifestyle mm. i will you know when i was um I was at a week-long conference in New York City two weeks ago, all just business meetings as opposed to like a big exhibit hall sort of thing. So a lot of time spent in hotel lobbies and and such. And it was really the first time since I started drawing that I'd been in that that situation. Mm -hmm. And I brought a little sketch pad with me and a couple of pens. And I actually quickly, you know, sketched people sitting in the, the, the hotel lobby which I'm just, I haven't done enough yet to be comfortable and not to be looking at the other person enough to make them uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, that's so a, that's a real, that's a real skill, but it'll take you a while to figure that out. I'm really good at that because I've been doing it like my whole yeah, life. That, that's what I figure. If I was in New York regularly, I would be better. A week later, I was on the subway and I was thinking to myself, I have seen subway sketches from artists i have no goddamn idea how i could possibly take something out and draw right now without getting beaten up by whoever i, I was looking at you know to, what? To draw. So, i'll 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 yeah. tell you a secret of somebody somebody that you know yeah. I, I had a whole gallery art show of uh, marker drawings done on buses and trains and yeah. it's uh now especially it's it's the golden age of that because everybody's got a device they're completely they have no they're so oblivious they're, per- yeah. they're the, perfect. The flip side of that is, I'm not interested in people who are sitting there staring down at their their uh, <laughs> their little black mirror. But but yeah, it's it's. You know, I look around at people. I'm like, you're right. Everybody's looking down, and it's not really an interesting. And they all have headphones in. They're all in their own little universe. It's it's fantastic. It's yeah. it's so good. Uh, I mean, for the palette for- was also black. Yeah, like everybody was dressed in like black. Uh, oh, and really? Dark colors and all this. It, yeah, it was just one of those things I noticed because I was. I was in a black suit, but I had this this you know yellow uh, polo shirt and uh, mm. uh, I forget what the uh, light gray sweater. And so I'm looking around I'm like, oh, everybody's in just really dark, puffy gear. You, it was cold. Yeah, and, you know. yeah. And 
uh, you know, vary, vary your routes, uh, go to a different neighborhood, go to Queens or something, go to, well, this involves going into New York at all. I mean, I was just doing that to go see this, this, uh, business appointment. Otherwise I hide out in the woods where I, uh, where I don't see anybody. Yeah. I mean, my last, uh, my last newsletter post, uh, was all about this subject where it was called in person. It was about how I just realized how much I missed looking at faces with, yeah. And since we've all been in mask land for a couple of years, uh, we've all, we all just look like dental hygienists, you know, it's, like, yeah. it's weird because I'm, you know, I visually, I pride myself in sort of, it's my primary mode of interacting. It's how I take in the world more than any other way. And to become face blind, not because I've lost the ability to tell people apart, but because everybody looks exactly the same is, is yes, yeah, it's horrifying. I mean, you know, I had to resort to freeze framing movies and sketching the people on the screen. I mean, it was sad. Yeah, I was thinking <laughs> of doing stuff like that. I, I've been using like photos of authors and other mm-hmm. people. I've been drawing from those, and I've, I've got this big one of of uh, Anthony Pohl in mm-hmm. his uh, on his sofa with his cat on his lap while he's reading in his his library. I've, I've started. I'm getting somewhere. I don't know what I'm gonna. Right now, it's just pencils. I have no yeah. idea where it goes from there. If I'm going to paint or just uh, so have, do something other than what I mean, it you've, is. you've been doing uh, enough of a variety and long enough now. Do you notice the difference the, your relationship between, say, drawing the trees with your very own eyes rather than working from a photograph? Can you oh tell, yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the well, feeling? Me, yeah. The biggest thing was when I was drawing from life. When I was going outside, just drawing trees and 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 shrubs and everything um i experienced the lack of thinking about anything else Mm -hmm. and when i worked from a computer screen i thought about other stuff i'd be drawing but i would also be thinking about the you know work stuff and other conversations and other things and i thought okay there's something about being out in the world and looking at a thing in three dimensions and you know the the movement from that to the hand that is somehow bypassing all of the the voices in the head that I'm not getting when I, I draw from, you know, from the computer or from a, a TV screen. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Also, the longer you go, the more you'll discover that the way you see with your eyes is very, very different than the way that the camera shows it to you. Oh, yeah. I, I was just thinking, I read this piece on David Hockney mm-hmm. a week or two ago, and part of it went into his whole theory of optics. Mm-hmm. And how, yeah, the, the lens, I, I think from the quotes that were there, I think it was, he had a story about uh, missionaries, I think in in Japan, mm-hmm. once upon a time, uh, drawing a, you know, trying to draw the, the or painting the empress. And they used shadow because of the light. And she was incensed and insisted that her face was the same color on both sides. Mm-hmm. And why were they, they, doing this and and he took that as a other cultures were not developing lenses and optics and trying to render the world you know on canvas like that that's why hokusai there's no shadows in the waves they're they're flat and yet they're incredibly evocative uh, he just thinks well yeah well, at least from yeah, the, read, the, it, you know yeah, yeah. Uh, the Jap- japanese visual art has a very different spatial system as does well, every one of them but even you know if you look at say um icon paintings from the middle ages yeah uh, you will see that like jesus is gigantic and then the you know the, the apostles are one size down and then the common people are another size down 
Right. And it's not like that those people uh, didn't know how to see. It was a different way of portraying what's, you know, a hierarchy and what's important. They're telling a story through that. Uh, and similarly, something like a hokusai, this, the, you know, the floating world, you know, there's, there's a way of portraying reality. Uh, Egyptian painting is that way uh, in a different way. Each one has developed a different system. Sure. Uh, and it's a symbolic system. But if you use, if you are uh, using your own eyes, the the thing I always come up against, the frustration with using uh, a stealth photograph source material is that the camera lens distorts and makes shadows yeah. in ways that our eyes just do not. And also the frozenness, which you, I, I will guarantee you that you've never seen anything the way a still photograph portrays it. And yet right. it, it now stands in for our memories and information. And, and that's yeah. why part of why I, I draw much more why I'm happy it's, it's warming up a little so I can go out and draw. Yeah. Again. Sometimes I'll use the camera afterwards for the color. Mm -hmm. I'll, you know, like I was drawing some daffodils sure. and figuring I'll, I'll go back inside and paint these, but let me just at least try and get the color and the, the gradation from the inner uh, leaves or the inner petals versus the outer. But yeah, I, I, I take pictures now and I look at it and I, I could see how flat and distorted things are, especially from an iPhone. You know, it's the main thing I'm, yeah. I'm using and it's just like, okay. I, no, I there's, there's no camera ever invented that will approximate uh, the, the constant motion yeah. and the changing light. And that's why, I mean, I'm, I'm much more drawn to the moving image, you know, movies rather than still photography, because at least there it's an approximation or a, of the experience of seeing right. uh, because of the motion. Uh, uh, it, I'm a lot more interested in that personally, but I also, I'm, I'm very, very biased and prejudiced because I'm a painter. <laughs> so <Sure. laughs> I, will, I freely admit that, but I've gotten into very un, testy exchanges with photographers uh, over the subject. Uh, because you could do the uh, <laughs> you know, right down the middle and do the, the Gerhard Richter, you know, paintings Oof. that are uh, oh, made to well, look we, just like a photo, which always seem kind of self-defeating to me. We, we, yeah, we can. Well, he's a conceptualist and he comes from East Germany and he's, he's got a lot of mental problems. But <laughs> uh, yeah, I've, no, I've, I've got lots. I've got lots and lots of opinions on Gerhard Richter. But <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you, you can guess. But uh, <laughs> yeah, he. Yeah, old Gerhard doesn't make me happy, but <laughs> although I will say there was a really shitty movie uh, biopic, a very thinly veiled based on him that he co Oh, I heard there was something he like that. Own, yeah. And he, uh, yes, yeah, that jackass who made uh, the Lives of Others, the Stasi movie. Yeah. That that guy made a movie, a very thinly veiled biopic of Gerhard Richter, and uh, Gerhard Richter felt that he completely be betrayed his trust in what he did because because he revealed all the stuff about his beginnings and you know he was he was a uh, he was a uh, uh he's from east germany and as an artist you know you had to do propaganda yeah, you had to and, toe the line yeah. yeah and there was a lot of stuff that gerhard richter is a very private person and he just didn't want out there and he told this guy this and he put it out there stuff that he didn't want shared so that was a rare moment that i was in complete sympathy with with Richter, just on a human level. But uh, yeah. 
that's that's neither here nor there. Uh, <laughs> I think artists growing over artists is a, a longstanding tradition. So. Oh, oh, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> it's yeah. yeah, we we pride ourselves on our squabbles and rows. You know, we, it, we, it's a it's a, it's a sort of yeah. <laughs> Uh, I mean, one of the reasons uh, when I was in art school, I, I started, you know, I was mainly a painter, uh, but I started doing printmaking. I went to the printmaking yep. department because the egos were so much more manageable. Uh, there was so much less hot air and there were, you know, printmakers are usually kind of meek artisan types who are great. Yeah, uh, more of a craft than a... Yeah, than, than, which, yeah. which, yeah, printmakers would be unhappy to hear, but... Uh, they were just much easier to get along with <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. And yeah, they, they have uh, yeah, they have a pride of craft and they, but often they don't have, they, they know how to, how to say, make a print. They don't know what to make an image of that. That's sure. their failing, but whereas painters have the opposite problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Each, each, each of these uh, disciplines ha- comes with its own trappings and its own, own kind of, flaws but yeah it's it's super it's been super great uh sort of like observing you getting into this thing and yeah i'm sort of uh, very uh heartened to see that somebody could discover this thing that i've been doing my whole life and get such a kick out of it uh yeah it's been a it's been a hoot i mean there's things what's neat for me is the things are still unfolding mm-hmm. and and they're things i were i wasn't expecting or things i've had to figure out Part of it, uh, of recent months with the winter and everything else, I got kind of run down and wasn't making art every day. And, and mm-hmm. the things I was making, I was working on this little tiny sketch pad yeah. where I knew intellectually by doing this little tiny things, the slightest deviation or screw up is going to make me feel like I wrecked the entire goddamn thing. It took me a while before I was like, you know, Gil, just go to larger paper. Yeah. Just, just draw on something bigger and just let it go. And, you know, reteaching myself to, to let it fly uh, was kind of neat. And then you know, I started watching some Linda Barry videos. Um, well, yeah, if you want, ago. you want an actual inspiration. I mean, there is there's nobody as inspiring as that lady. I mean, she's just right. I mean, and just the, the between the work and when you see the exercises, I was like, oh, I should be doing things like this to just loosen the fuck up before doing these, these, you know, trying to make art. I should, I should just get the arm and the wrist and everything. Yeah. She's a, she's a total, total genius for all that. I mean, and she's written whole books of basically pedagogy for aimed at people that are not, don't think of themselves as creative. See, I Mm -hmm. sat in on one of her workshops once because I'm close friends with somebody that works with her. And what I discovered is that I, I, I was really interested in just seeing the whole scene. It, it was done in a, a sort of a small auditorium. There was a lot of us there, you know, that yeah. she ran these exercises. It, and she's now a professor at uh, University of Wisconsin, but she used to just do these like, like one or two day workshops, you know, right. really intensive workshops. But what I discovered is that I didn't know how many of my own systems I had in place for oh, that it sort of helped you for and the, codify that stuff i guess yeah, actually, or identify the, it. the one that the one that i sat in on was not visual uh it was it was a writing one because she does writing mm-hmm. ones too because obviously she does both she does a combo uh and she's written standalone books but um it it got in the 
uh, what she was doing was kind of throwing a wrench in the works for me. Like I, I realized after a day that I couldn't do those things because it really, it would really fuck me up. Uh, it was very, very strange, uh, to find that out. You know, yeah. I had no idea I had so many systems in place that allowed me to do what I do. I know. But were they prohibiting you from other stuff? No, I mean that taking on somebody else's approach would gum oh, up, would, okay. would gum yeah. up, would, would fuck everything. would, would screw up everything. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. But because, uh, I mean, basically, you know, I mean, most people that had never tried it, like her whole thing is to uh, unlock, you know, like to realize that you're, you're full of stories and you, and your stories are interesting and it's just a way of accessing those. And I've never felt that as a, like, I've never been stuck that way, you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's a, like, there's a constant flow of, of things and I access them my own way and it's intuitive and I've been doing it since I was a child, you know? So I'm not, I'm not the audience for that, but I've, I've watched it work and I'm just amazed at it. And she's a super inspiring person. And I mean, a personal level, you know, I'm kind of kind of friends with her now and she's just incredibly, she's just like a beautiful human being and she's super supportive of other artists, which is super rare. Actually, that's that kind of generosity that she has is not you don't see that. <laughs> I'll yeah. say this, you know, <laughs> it's just yeah. more often uh, we're sort of like taciturn uh, loners that, that, that they get prickly when we're asked to sort of uh, either reveal secrets or quote unquote secrets. Not that there's any secrets yeah. really, but, uh, and not that anybody cares, but <laughs> that, yeah, yeah th that way it just, yeah, I don't want to, I don't know if there's, I don't know if selfless is the right word, but she's, she just yeah. wants, she wants every, everybody to love art and writing the way she does. And she has a gift for communicating that in a way that I can't even like fathom, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I've been on the receiving end of that and it's, it's quite a thing. <laughs> Yeah, she's amazing, and you know, especially coming from the the comics world as I do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's she's held in immense regard both by creators and and just has legions of of people who've you know discovered you know comics through her or just discovered her person her personal approach to the world and and sort of you know, have gone from there for their own art. Yeah, she's as someone that doesn't come from the comics world and didn't grow up with comics at all. Uh, She's she's one of the few people in that realm that I, I I I can read and or take in her stuff all the time easily, you know, and yeah. I love what she does. I love what you know her good pal Chris Ware does. It's the alter like you know pe people that are idiosyncratic or have made their own way that interests me in that in that realm for sure, because I didn't yeah the uh, I almost can't. Uh, I look at like a superhero comic, you know, the gateway drug for, 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 for most of you, you know, and I just don't even know how to take it in. It, well, it's <laughs> funny that the Europeans, like the, the woman I recorded with today, mm -hmm. it was, it was decades ago when I, I recorded or interviewed for the comics journal, a bunch of uh, cartoonists from Israel. And that was mm -hmm. my first instance of, Oh, wait a second. You guys 
aren't raised with superheroes. You don't have that as your your background thing. You came to comics in a completely different way. And then when you realize more and more people have, you know, entered the space without having that that Marvel and DC, you know, thing at, at the beginning, younger people, um, as well as people from other countries, it creates much more varied art when mm-hmm. people aren't, you know, framing everything in terms of, yeah, but this is what I saw in Spider-Man when I was a kid. Um, it, it's pretty neat. I unfortunately, you know, was raised with the X-Men and always have these superhero things stuck in the back of my head. No, I mean, but, it's it's not unfortunate. Yeah. It's just a different tradition. Oh, it's unfortunate. Oh, it is? Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it, it's schlocky genre stuff that I could still name the exact issue of the yeah. X-Men where X, Y, and Z but happens. But like most and, of that shit yeah. was invented by Jews to like fight against anti-Semitism, is it? Oh, it's cool. It? Yeah. I mean, like, you know, still, they, so, so yeah. that Superman could beat up Hitler or what have you, you yeah. know? <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying it, it's still or enough. punching Nazi, kind of be... as you like to say. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing wrong with punching Nazis. We all know that. That's what I hear. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there's just that sense of, of, you know, if I'd come up with a different, uh, um, you know, set of, of comics references, you know, maybe I'm a different person or a different artist, but you know, you are who you are. So, or you, you know, you can't really, yeah change the influences you had when you were a little kid it's just a function of being born in northern new jersey in 1971 exactly yeah and i was born in moscow in 1970 and came here in 78 and uh i mean i I had you know my yeah america the few american friends i made there well actually yeah now that come to think of it my one main friend that i made right when i got here and in second grade I guess he was not a big comic book reader. If he had been, maybe uh, I would have a completely different experience because he was my sort of gateway drug to American culture. And so, and he was, he was a baseball player. He was into music, uh, American music, obviously, but yeah, I I got my love of baseball from him, you know? See? Yeah. So weird influences. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, And so, I mean, when you were when you were a kid, or did you have aspirations to become a comic book artist at all? Or? Yeah, but again, they were just you know like like childhood, nothing beyond like, like, you know nine like, or ten like, years like old. Like when a boy wants to become a fireman or something. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> or a baseball player. You know, yeah, and you realize, right. eh, yeah, not really my thing, or you know, this would take too much work, or blah blah blah. But but so, yeah, yeah, you, you, you talked know. yourself out of it with the, with the comic. Yeah, it just it just lapsed, and that's the biggest thing I've picked up from artists I've interviewed over the years, especially those in the, the cartooning fields, but otherwise also it's the, you know, I was drawing as a little kid and I never stopped and the rest yes. of us stop. And it's, it's what, again, to get back to John Lurie, it's what he says in the first episode of that first show yeah. that, you know, everybody, everybody's creative when they're a little kid and then it gets beaten out of you and not everybody well, can draw nowadays since so. since nobody's listening to this uh i'll i'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll offer my opinion that you you're a better draftsman than john laurie so okay <laughs> <laughs> i appreciate it there there are things i look at and i, I see i bet you can't you can't play saxophone like he used to but <laughs> oh, there you go <laughs> but yeah i i i get you know the art he makes i see things now a year later i'm like oh that's how he did X, Y, and Z. And there's, there's, you know, a lot of this stuff is just knowing your tools and knowing your brushes and everything else. And I'm still figuring out all this, this crazy stuff. The gouache, or, you know, we bought, I, I, I've only broken out once and I'm just 
terrified of. And you, annoying you have a tough to... time with it. Yeah, it's it's a there's yeah. a learning curve on it for sure, uh, it, and it's very different than watercolor. Yeah. I mean, my thing with gouache is that it's much more forgiving than watercolor because you right. can just you can make it thicker. You can uh, obscure all your mistakes and redo everything just on t- right on top of it. You know, you don't have to. Yeah, uh, be you worry. scrape things off, or, or yeah, you're stuck with what's underneath. And, yeah. yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, no, I, I will. It's just the looking at it. I'm like, ah, it's another mm-hmm. form. I got to figure out, you know, how light to go with this, and and just mixing colors and things like that. I've always oh, so far, sure. I've been a nightmare with, but you know, once yeah, I to me, start to get a hang of that, it'll go. Yeah, I, I think on a recent one of your recent shows, you you were discussing with a guest about, uh, like that, you know ramping up to oils was just unfathomable oh god yeah my my neighbor across the street gave me one of her oil sets like bitch please no i i would i would actually i would counsel you to hold off on the oils (laughs) yeah oils are a whole other ball of wax i mean it's the learning curve on that is steep uh i will tell you you don't fuck around with oils unless you're like somebody like john lurie and has such a giant ego that they don't care and (laughs) you think you're a genius just by looking at it but that's how you bypass all this technique and, and uh, reps. You just decide that you're a genius. Yeah. So, see, and I, and I just, you know, constantly self-deprecate. So I go in the other direction. Right. And, no yeah. Matter, your yeah. thing is to tear yourself down. So it's not that, that approach, the, the Lurie yeah. approach will not work for you, Gil. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's true. But there have been moments, especially early on, there were things where I just had that, holy shit, I, I did this. You know, mm-hmm. some, some things look terrible that day and a yeah. day or so later you realize look good, but yeah, there are, there are times, one of the first watercolors I did within the first two or three weeks, I thought I knew what I wanted to do and I actually executed and, and made it what I thought I wanted to make. I, I didn't think I was capable of doing that. So yeah, you know, at 50 something, that's, that's, you know. Yeah. I think maybe, I don't know, my theory on that for you or with you in your case is that maybe because you didn't have all those decades of baggage from all that reading or attempts at writing this thing, you didn't have all that. You just yeah. don't, you dove in. So you don't, you didn't have that kind of mountain of expectation connected to right. it. You know what yeah. I mean? And it's, it's not something I was supposed yeah. to be any good at. You right. Know? Yeah. Uh, writing is supposed to be my thing. And if I mm-hmm. do something wrong and let myself down and blah, blah, blah. But yeah, art is just the visual art is just, you know, God knows what I'm doing here, but it seems to actually look like what it's supposed to look like. So, so going into say college, uh, your thought was writing, like you were, you were going to be a writer. Oh, yeah. yeah. I was supposed to be quote unquote, a writer. I, you were going to be like the other, the other Roth, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I didn't, I, I missed the lottery to get into this one creative writing class at Hampshire mm-hmm. and just never tried again after that. Cause it was literally just a lottery and I didn't make it. And I just, eh, I'll do other stuff and, and just keep writing on the side. Mm. And it's not, you know, good enough. Um, you know, I, I, again, the, the podcast I just did with Nicholas Del Banco, um, as well as one I did a few weeks ago with Mark Prince goes into like, if, you know, what an MFA is actually there for, what, what the program is there for. Sure. And I realized I was never a devoted enough writer, I think, to have put in the work. Oh, the, the kind of work workshop model. Yeah. Uh, the way that MFA program, I mean, writing. Yeah. Work, and at least and in America, yeah. And what, 
Yeah. Right. And, and, you know, it's, it's one of those things I'm like, you know, I, I could have maybe, but you know, now I've got the excuse of, Oh, I'm a middle-aged white guy. Nobody'd be interested in, in whatever I write anyway. There's plenty uh, of, which is just an excuse. There's plenty of you in those programs. Let me tell you from what I, yeah, yeah they, yeah, people <laughs> go back to school at all, at all times. I mean, when, when I was in art school in Chicago, there's a ton of people, older students, uh, partly because it was the onset of, uh, in the, say, the design world, computers were just coming in in that world, you know, ahead of, yeah, and they were getting obsolete. You know, people that had trained uh, actually using gouache and stuff like that, like the old ad men and stuff, that's what they all right. used in those art. Like if you watch Mad Men, when they do those maquettes and stuff, that's all like either temper or gouache that they're using. Right. It was the design. It was the, because it's quick drying, it's forgiving. So you can make corrections, you know? Uh, but I, I was in school with a guy who was, I think he was in his thirties uh, or maybe, maybe even pushing 40. And he realized that he was about to lose his job. So he just went back to indulge his first love, which is painting, you know? Yeah. And it's, you know, and that's part of the, when it's your profession, things are, are different or when there's money involved at least, but, mm -hmm. but yeah, so I was supposed to be a writer, never, never, well, supposed to be a fiction writer or literary guy or something, but you know, did you up, have, uh, so who, did yeah. you have like a first love as a young person? Like who was the apex, who was the, the king or queen? When I was, I when I was young, I was reading, you know, shitty science fiction novels. So, like I mean, there was Asimov the Asimov or like yeah, there's, there's, Dick I, or something. I was more Asimov okay. because, yeah. you know, as like a, a 10 or 11 year old, you're not reading Philip Dick. You wanted to um, grow up to be a horrible womanizer? Or? <laughs> no, I mean, it was just, that's what you, you started with. And then I was reading just schlock, like the, the stainless steel rat novels, the tales mm -hmm. of the galactic midway, uh, Mike Resnick, Harry Harrison, you know, these, these adventure writers mm -hmm. who were science fiction. And you that wanted, my, you, my were, thing. you sort of, you, you were aspiring to be that. No, no. What I, I then discovered was Alan Moore as a, a comic book writer. Mm -hmm. And that kind of turned into this, this mythic slash mystical type of writing that was very literary while being a comic superhero and then beyond. And, you know, that was this weird template in my head that it would be prose, but, you know, sort of more inflected uh, as well as, you know, Frank Miller and a couple of the other highbrow guys I was, I was reading, uh, or at least better than the, the standard, um, superhero comic writers of my youth. The, Grant Morrison was another one. But. but the direction was always in this kind of speculative direction. Yeah. Yeah. There was always literary, but you know, um, uh, yeah, something was, we'll say, you know, sci-fi or speculative, whatever you wanted to, to I think speculative is like one of the newer, like catch all, like where, because, yeah. well, they want to graduate above genre. They, they want I'm willing to, to go with sci-fi. Right. Yeah, they want I, to be I, fancier. I yeah. Right. But yeah, so from that, you know, I did nothing and went on to trade magazine associate editing for years and then editing and then uh, became a lobbyist for the pharmaceutical industry. And uh, <laughs> no, but you, I mean, you had that, uh, you, you had that short stint publishing books for also, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I did a small press publisher while I was Sam, doing the Samuel Delaney, stuff. right? Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. started with a friend of Delaney's who I, I knew growing up yeah, and he introduced me to, to Delaney and then I also published Paul West, but these were small presses, 1998 to about 2003, 2004. Um, there really wasn't, you know, the, I had no ability to get these books into the hands of 
potential readers and you know mm. we made various mistakes when it came to publishing pricing marketing etc mm -hmm. there's more there's more ease at doing that stuff now but there's such an incredible profu uh, profusion of of titles it's even easier to just get lost and have no uh get no traction with these things yeah it's it's certain uh you know from personal experience it's the best and worst of times right now for that I mean, because yeah. it's never been easier to put a pro a thing out there, and never harder to to actually get it noticed above the to rise above the flotsam, you know, that's yeah. out there. Because you know, you can you can send uh, Amazon your PDF and it'll be instantly available throughout the world, like in an hour. <laughs> but yeah. but there's no way mean to get anybody to know that. Yeah, yeah. how do you do that? And that's the 64 million i don't know with inflation i don't know what the actual price is for yeah. that question the price of that question but uh nobody has that answer uh, no. uh unless and this ties back to everything we were talking about with art unless you start making work that is you know meant to go to a niche segment that you're tailoring everything for a certain type of audience then you're you're just playing roulette and you know i'm fine with that because again my money comes from my day job but it also means I can't devote, you know, the, the time or effort I would put into making art, making the podcast, finding a way to get the podcast to the right people. There's the, the over question of any of this stuff, which actually came up in my day job. Um, I launched a trade association in this weird part of the pharmaceutical industry, and I recruit companies to join the association. I represent them with the FDA and Congress and help them talk to each other and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And, I, I grew the thing really well. We got this major win in this negotiation with FDA and, and industry. And I work with this other small trade association as well as this other very large one. Mm -hmm. And I was sitting there once with the lead guy from the other small association, basically my opposite number uh, at yeah. this, this small group. And yeah. we've become really good friends over the years. But he said to me at one point, when I mentioned all of these companies that were joining after yeah. our big negotiation, he said, Gil, how big do you want the, the association to be? Mm -hmm. I said to him, John, I've literally never thought about that. Yeah. <laughs> it has never occurred to me that there's a size that's good enough. Whereas with art and everything else, I don't think about, you know, how do I drive this, get more people, et cetera. With work I did, and that was my moment of, oh shit. Yeah, I, I need to think about that the same way, that this doesn't have to be grab everybody you can. It has to be get the right people involved. Yeah. Don't stretch beyond what you're you're there to do, um, and that that. But again, it was a moment that until somebody confronts you with that, you but that's just don't think that's of pretty it. cool. Yeah. Uh, that it sounds like um, you've learned uh, from these various spheres that you're involved with the podcasting and then the the quote unquote day job. They feed off each other. You learn there are things that carry over. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, the the. Like the public work. speaking, I mean, obviously. yeah, all this yeah. stuff with the show, as well as the one-on-one. -on -one, um, there are there are things I've learned about in-person conversations in the podcast that have helped me with in-person conversations, just one-on-ones with mm. with yeah uh, federal officials and congressional staffers and the like. Uh, some of it is just types of eye contact and the mm. way you look at someone and listen to someone when they're talking. Yeah. That I didn't necessarily do as well before the show. And I learned through the podcast, just shut up 
Let them go, which I'm not, I'm not doing a great job of this time, but it's because I'm that's guest. not your That's not your job here. <laughs> it's my job. And I, th- I yeah. think this is going well because you're doing more talking than I am. Yeah, provided uh, this thing actually records at the end. I oh know. Oh, my God, I never hit record. That, that's the big <laughs> mystery. Well, as I told the one guy that I told you about at the top that where I recorded only my audio is at least really even if he he got pissed off and like didn't want to do it again, we had a great conversation. Uh, yeah. And and the the by the third try, the second try, he had technical difficulties. The third oh. third time was the charm. It wasn't the same conversation, nor was I trying to reproduce the conversation. No. I realized that it's a process, and the first one was just a rough draft. Yeah. No Early matter how on, no matter how I great it was, one, yeah. Uh, I lost one with the writer Willard Spiegelman, this guy mm-hmm. who who he's had a couple of books, but he also reviews architecture, especially museums. Mm-hmm. And great conversation. It didn't record. The backup didn't work. Yeah. And I felt like a heel, but we got along and oh, we, we got together for another one. Completely different conversation. Yes. But fantastic. And it was just one of those like, well, sometimes things have to be lost in the ether. That's how time works, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm really excited uh, to launch this thing uh, for myself because I know I have learned it took a long time and it's it's surprising that uh, I think I can do this uh, because I yeah. do know how to listen. I don't I'm not in love with the sound of my own voice or my insights, no matter how, you know, I have an opinion about everything, uh, yeah. which which helps me piece together a livelihood reviewing stuff. I mean, right before we got on, I, I saw a play and after we finished this, I got to write the review and I know what I'm going to write. I'm going to. I'm going to knock this thing out in an hour, you know, and it's, this is part, this is my life now, but, uh, I do, I do know how to listen and it's, it's gratifying to find out something new about yourself. And that's why I think this uh, podcast thing will work out. Uh, I'm hoping. Yeah. I mean, whether, you know, I, I hit, hit the big time, uh, remains. There is no big time. (laughs) <laughs> there's, there's no big time yeah. and there's nothing to aim for beyond a really well, good even, conversation. Well, you know, even the king of this, you know, our, you know, our idol, Mark Marin, you know, it, he, he came to it as at a breaking point. I mean, he was about to, you know, quit the business or maybe like off himself. You know, and then he found this life raft, yeah. you know, this lifeline and it relaunched his whole career. Yeah. But it, it was also having authentic conversations. It, it, mm-hmm. it didn't, you know, he, he didn't start it with the, how can I use this to springboard my, my career? It yeah. Was, and he, in fact, I'm flailing and I, I'm just going to talk to other people who have gone through something like I've gone through. And yeah, my favorite ones, and I'm a very, very loyal Mark Marin listener. I mean, I listen to, to them as they come out twice a week, uh, you know, but uh, yeah. the ones I like the best are the ones that are least uh, sort of uh, commercial and they're the ones that I don't who I, I don't know the guest and they're having mm-hmm. a conversation. They're not just trying to sell something. Obviously, yeah. at his level of success, there are people that go on there that are have a new movie or a new record or what have you. And they're obviously there to promote it. But that's not what the conversation's about. Yeah. And the, like the bigger the person, the the, the less the chance that it's going to be one of the best, the good ones. You oh, know? I, I always tell people with mine, I'm like, when people write me about a show they like, mm-hmm. and, and it, that sort of tells me what field they're in, I sure. always tell them, go find one 
with a guest you have never heard of in a field you don't know anything about because yeah. trust me, you're going to enjoy that conversation, even though it's not your space. You know, oh. this, this is the sort of thing where, yeah, you, you get something out of it that you just didn't know going in. Yeah. If you're searching for stuff that to just confirm your interests or your views, that's, that's a really sad way to live. You know, I mean, you get it. People have limited time and if they're a comics person, they're going to want to listen to the Chris Ware one, as opposed to some of the more obscure ones, like the, the woman who did the book on dramaturgy, mm. um, to me, absolutely phenomenal and fantastic conversation. But I get it's a niche that no people would think they don't have an in to. But once you listen to it, you, as I've talked about before, my all-time fave, incredibly niche episode I ever did was with Ben Modell, mm, the guy who yeah. plays silent movie. He plays piano or, or keyboards right. to accompany silent films. Oh, that was a good one. Yeah, that, I like yeah. that one. Uh, and no, that is not anyone's wheelhouse. <laughs> like but, nobody yeah. is, oh, I, I play along to silent movies too. I should listen to this conversation. But it's a great conversation about a person's life, about technology and audience and everything else that all just, you know, it, it happened because somebody mentioned this guy to me. And I thought, holy shit, I have to sit down and find out who this guy is and what his life is like and how he yeah. ended up doing this. So, but as a, I mean, personally, as a painter, primarily, and then second or third, a writer, I don't I don't want to hear things that are like me. I want to learn something new. Uh, yeah. I don't want to feel like. The conversation that I'm hearing is related to what I do in my creative life, because then I'll judge it in a way, probably unfairly. Yeah, so like, but it's still your framework, so you're going to be pretty yeah, like, like, it. well, because yeah, because they're playing in in what I feel is my playground or like, you know, home court, and I don't want them there. Uh, right. There is no space for them there unfortunately i'm because i'm not linda berry you know yeah. <laughs> i don't have that kind of generosity of spirit about certain yeah. things and like i'm yeah i can be very very harsh i'm harshest on painters you know yeah. that that's a very high bar for to cross with me but uh if if i hear somebody doing something i knew nothing about and they have a way of relating telling their story. I mean, I, I will get completely get glued to that, you know, because yeah, the, it's the, yeah, it's the conversation. That's, that's the key. It's not uh, just to confirm your own beliefs. Yeah. yeah. It's not, yeah, yeah. A, you'll not, get it. You'll see, you'll make this whole body of work and, and we'll have our, our complimentary podcast archives out there well yeah I'm, I'm not i'm not chasing you i'm, I'm not trying to uh, oh that's why i say complimentary not, yeah, not yeah. competing <laughs> no 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 i mean you've basically written like an a war and peace in audio form you know like with the arc your your archive of when did it start like about 10 years ago it, it was 10 years ago 10 last year. month yeah, was yeah my first interview one yeah. yeah yeah and we met uh a couple of years in, I mean, uh, in 2014, the, 2014, yeah, I was going to say that was, that was when I started going weekly. I remember we got together. Yeah. I came over to your house. Yeah. I was on book tour for my ill-fated second book, uh, my star cross second cab book. Uh, but that was one of the highlights of that New York trip because I did a couple of readings. I met the people at, who run volume one Brooklyn. I met a bunch of people that have actually, gone on to great great success on that trip uh much greater literary success than i could even dream of you know uh yeah. but uh and i met you and th this has been an enduring relationship i you know i count you as a friend i hope you do like you know oh same. i mean uh yeah sure <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're on air so be careful tread lightly yeah. 
Ross. No, we're, we're great friends. Yeah. Yeah. We, we aired, I have the webpage here. We, we checks aired in, it checks October in the mail. 7. Checks in the mail. Right. <laughs> yeah. It was October, 2014. So that was the year I started my new job. I, I was, that was 2014 is when I quit the magazine, started the trade association and the same year said, I'm going to do the show weekly. Oh, what the hell I was thinking. I, I don't know. Man, but, I was, you know, I, I, I was in on the ground floor. <laughs> yeah, that was when it really took off. Because 2013, I was like, I, I just as long as I can do this biweekly, it'll be a success. And I did better than that. Yeah. And then 2014, I said weekly, and I've never looked I, back. I won't. And yeah. Hit, I will not mention the name of the person that introduced me to your show. Uh, no worries. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think you know. I, I think you know who I'm talking about. And uh, yep. it's it's a it's kind of like saying Beetlejuice. You don't you don't right. want to summon that <laughs> that that entity that uh that malevolent yeah. force into your life. Although I will tell you, I, I <laughs> semi-speaking of Beetlejuice, I, I started watching the first Batman movie from 1989, the Michael Keaton and Tim Burton. Oh, one, oh the first is Tim the Burton, Beetlejuice yeah. reference. Only, well, I was watching it just because my, my brother was going off about some new Batman movie where he's, I don't the know, br- whatever. The brand new one? Yeah, it's, and I just said, oh, I don't care. I'm not interested in this stuff, but I'm going to watch the first one because mm -hmm. it was like an opera, I remember. And and so I was watching it. But there's this great scene that I totally wouldn't have gotten in 1989 where they're at the art uh, museum and the Joker breaks it. And he's he's he and his cronies are defacing all of these pieces of art. And, and, you know, Rembrandt. And and this one, I should rewatch that. But the great moment comes. Right before the end of the the scene, he and his his main crony are going up the stairs, and the crony is about to slash this painting, and the Joker stops him and says, "No, Bob, I kind of like that one." And it's Francis Bacon, man yeah. with a piece of meat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I yeah, was yeah. like, I wouldn't have gotten that when I was young. I wouldn't have gotten that before interviewing Sebastian Smee like two weeks earlier. But in that moment, I was like, oh. Oh, it's a Francis Bacon. Okay, well, that's kind of funny that the Joker will let that one go, but yeah. has every other classical piece of art destroyed. And that yeah, was my, see, that my was uh, well, you know, no pun intended. Like meat, uh, you, you read meat to somebody like me when that came out. Uh, yeah, I, I full well knew who Francis Bacon was in 1989. Yeah. I, but I still, knew, in I that moment, Fran- yeah, looking at the screen and, and noticing it, that's the one thing he says. You know, yeah, let, let's leave that one alone. I kind of like it. That's one of the beauties of some. Uh, any kind of art, but like a movie is that it'll grow with you. you you'll revisit yeah. it like this and you'll see it as a, it's a different movie. Yeah. Uh, but that, again, a, I was an 18 year old kid. Yeah. But, you know. That aside though, uh, as a semi-professional movie critic, another one of my hustles, uh, the new Batman's the best Batman movie. No interest whatsoever. I, I yeah. don't care about superhero movies. Not I, they were my childhood. It's, it's, it's the only. Fine. Yeah, I know. It's. Yeah. A, I haven't seen. I've only seen like two Marvel Universe movies because those are just dreadful. But uh, they're just they're just CGI video games. But uh, this is. I mean, it's the most emo Batman because it's because it's uh, Robert Patting, Pattinson. But uh, I was I was I was amazed. I was just floored how much I liked that movie. And well, low expectations play a big part, you know? Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad other people like stuff. Yeah. That's the same thing with the show. I'm glad people find joy in other things. Not my thing, but you know, I'm, I'm you know, just not something I'm going to go. No, I'm, 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 I'm it, this is not a full court press and I'm, I'm actually yeah. a lot more interested when people disagree or are not interested. Uh, that, that, that piques my curiosity 
rather than oh, I, I don't me, there's a whole childhood history with with these things and what it means now as an adult and and yeah it's completely idiosyncratic so i don't you know go around sure you got you're immature you got your own personal mythology and like where things go and uh yeah oh it's, it's not it's not tied to continuity and things like that it's tied to how shattered i was as a small child taking shelter in superhero comics and how i really don't need to be reminded of that by having these oh. giant multi-bazillion dollar extravaganzas oh. it's oh, nothing it's, to do with with canon and, and continuity it's all it's what trigger these it's trigger to me? It, it's trigger warnings huh all, all the way in down a sense. <laughs> yeah it's just a sense of like hey that's who i was that's the shit oh, that funny. i needed when i was a kid it's not I, something i need as an adult so yeah. i wonder if i wonder if there's anything like that with me. you know what the only minefield like that for me is music like certain songs but yeah. that's but because they remind you of, of me of certain relationships or certain people, people right, of, who you were at certain moments. And I just don't need the well, whole people that are dead yeah. sometimes or failed yeah. relationships or like mistakes I've made. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Music will do that. Movies rarely. Uh, places will do that. I I had one. So the, the play that I saw was way across town, like, uh, see, almost a 15 mile bike ride away. I took a long bike ride today, which I really enjoy, but there was a certain like a block that I rode by and I was just riding along, listening to music on my headphones the way I do, which I shouldn't do, but I do all the time as I ride. Uh, and I just had a full on deja vu thing with an ex, you know, just because that's where I think I had stopped to text her and she didn't respond. And it was like falling down a fucking mine shaft you know <laughs> it was yeah. fucking horrible and totally tied to a place and when you live in a city i've lived in the city going on you know 30 years about 30 about 30 years yeah it's a minefield <laughs> not movies though for whatever reason and i see so many movies but movies don't usually do that to me yeah we've all got our our various associations and our histories mm -hmm. and everything else but but yeah it's uh it's one of those things i'm i'm glad other people have entertainment of, of their own i've just got my my need to sit down and draw stuff i guess and and make podcasts and do my my weird thing yeah no it's been it's been great to watch and you know some sometimes i i think i worry about you i'm i'm, I'm sorry but i i'm sort of glad you're giving up on the running like the running always worried me with you like it, oh, it, it was it was fine it's just my body was breaking down from doing it no so. but you were doing you were going so hard you know like with the running oh trust me it, it wasn't if if you see what real people what real well, runners do yeah, yeah the this, ones this the ones that start as children not as 40 somethings <laughs> yeah it, it varies with some of these guys if they start running young they actually yeah. don't do it in their middle age because they've already broken down yeah because they, yeah, no, they have shin splints yeah. from running on on gra on yeah. uh, on uh concrete yeah right but now i've got like, pals in their mid-50s who are doing you know three marathons a year and all that stuff yeah, and I'm yeah. Like, yeah that's great i just physically can't hold up doing it but yeah but you know again in the mornings now i, I do other exercise and yeah. do my my postcard video and my various other things that i wouldn't have time for if i, was I can't imagine to, has the has there ever been a fat gill was there a fat gill? oh yeah you oh, know really? i weighed oh. Uh, <laughs> oh, awesome. my peak was 220 <laughs> Whoa! Uh, I was about two twenty when I was in bad relationship over twenty years ago. Yeah, um, when I was in this long term thing, you were you were eating well. your feelings, as they say. Yeah, and I wasn't <laughs> exercising and hit thirty, and my metabolism stopped or yeah. slowed down. Yeah, yeah, I was it, a lot worse. So it does that. <laughs> but now, uh, you know, much healthier and uh, 
Good. You know, I, I try and be the the fit looking fifty one year old. So so let, let, let's wrap this up, and I'll wrap it up with, with your Zinger question. What are you reading? <laughs> Uh, lately, well, beyond the podcast Any, reading, oh, which oh, takes up all my time, yeah. the, the, the leisure reading is Blindness by Jose Saramago. Oh, yeah. I've never read him. Yeah, neither How, had I. Are you, and uh, let me it? tell you, this, this, I don't know why people weren't talking about this book through a chunk of the pandemic, because it's it seems to resonate pretty hard with you know this weird mystery illness that's that's jumping around and and the government is trying to lock people in as best they can mm. and nobody quite knows what they're doing and our our perceptions of the world are changed because whoever's struck by it is is rendered blind um mm. it's good it's creepy uh and yeah. and the very nature of what it's about but also the narrative voice is strange it's um it, it's this loose description of, of what's going on. It, it's not a strict third person. There's a sense that this is sort of the voice of the people who are being quarantined together about this stuff, uh, with this stuff. But it's oh, so um, it's like a chorus or like a com- uh, semi sort of. It, it's really subtle in, in how it's it's working, and I'm, I find it absolutely compelling. So I'm I'm reading that in my my evenings before bed, which I'll get to shortly but but yeah so beyond the podcast reading which takes up most of my time uh, i always try and have at least one extracurricular book going on yeah mine is yeah i have yeah the reading the professional reading i do is for book reviews usually but in between those i've been reading uh olga tokarczyk's epic books of jacob which was just recently i've heard it's great it's but haven't read it's fucking amazing and it's very very jewy uh interesting it's basically about these jews in the uh what is it 17th century uh kind of appointing a new messiah for themselves and uh it starts i mean it goes back to the uh 16th century i think but apparently it will end up at at the holocaust and it's a thousand page book and uh, i'm a couple hundred pages into it and it's it's really really readable and it's i mean it's it's masterful and i'm not surprised she won a a friggin' noble she uh, nobel she deserves it i'm sure uh put it on my wish list and yeah just it's it's a good one uh it's a really good one uh, cool i definitely recommend and she's uh you know she's older than you so you can read it and not feel bad <laughs> I, I couldn't remember because she, she was in her 50s or something she she's won like the, 60, uh, the prize she's like she's around 60 62 or okay. something yeah i think yeah so still, I, I I could feel like I'm I'm going to fail. She looks very yeah. Age. She looks just like a she looks like somebody that works at a health food store. You know, she's got yeah. Maybe dread. that was it. Maybe I saw the picture. And just thought that son of a bitch is younger than me. It's like <laughs> a, the, those uh, the white chick threads, which I'm sort of mixed about. But uh, she's a great. I mean, this is the first thing of hers I've read. I saw a movie based on one of her mm-hmm. other books, which is really great. It's called Spore, yeah. uh, re- directed by Anieszka Holland really really good movie but i've never read anything by her but now cool. i'm i'm definitely a believer so awesome I, I would recommend it well thanks so much for doing this and thanks for uh being patient with the early technical difficulties no worries man i'm glad to be a guest yeah uh, talk again soon